The company waited for a while. The audience held its collective breath. Nanny Og poked him with a boot. Yep, that's about it. Looks like he's gone down for the last curtain call, she said. But Walter didn't stab him, said Agnes. Why won't anyone listen? Look, the sword isn't even sticking in him. It's just tucked between his body and his arm, for heaven's sake. Yes, said Nanny. I suppose, really, it's a shame he didn't notice that. She scratched at her shoulder. Here, these ballet dresses really tickle. But he's dead. Got a bit overexcited, perhaps, said Nanny, fidgeting with a strap. Overexcited? Frantic, you know these artistic types. Well, you are one, of course. He's, he's, um, uh, really dead, said Bucket. Seems to be, said Granny. One of the best operatic deaths ever, I wouldn't mind betting. Th -th 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 That's terrible. Bucket grabbed the former Salzella by the collar and hauled him upright. Where's my money? Come on out with it. Tell me what you've done with my money. I don't hear you. He's not saying anything. That's on account of being dead, said Granny. Not talkative, the deceased, as a rule. Well, you're a witch. Can't you do that thing with the cards and the glasses? Well, yes, we could have a poker game, said Nanny. Good idea. The money is in the cellars, said Granny. Walter will show you. Walter Plinge clicked his heels. Certainly, he said. I would be glad to. Bucket stared. It was Walter Plinge's voice, and it was coming out of Walter Plinge's face, but both face and voice were different, subtly different. The voice had lost the uncertain, frightened edge. The lopsided look had gone from the face. Good grief, Bucket murmured, and let go of Salzella's coat. There was a thump. And since you're going to be needing a new director of music, said Granny, you could do a lot worse than look to Walter here. Walter? He knows everything there is to know about opera, said Granny, and everything about the opera house too. You should see the music he's written, said Nanny. Walter? Musical director? said Bucket. Stuff you can really hum. Yes, I think you might be surprised, said Granny. There's one with lots of sailors dancing around singing about how there's no women. The, 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 this is Walter, isn't it? And then some bloke called Les, who's miserable all the time. Oh, this is Walter, said Granny, the same person. And there's one with all cats leaping around all singing. That was fun, Nanny burbled. Can't imagine how he thought up that one. Bucket scratched his chin. He was feeling light-headed enough as it was. And he's trustworthy, said Granny, and he's honest, and he knows all about the opera house, as I said, and where everything is. That was enough for Mr Bucket. Uh, want to be the uh, director of music, Walter, he said. Thank you, Mr Bucket, said Walter Plinge. I should like that very much, but what about cleaning the privies? Sorry? I won't have to stop doing them, will I? I've just got them working right. Oh, right, really? Mr Bucket's eyes crossed for a moment. Well, fine, you can sing while you're doing it if you like, he added generously, and I won't even cut your pay. I'll, I'll, I'll raise it. Six, no, no, seven shiny dollars. Walter rubbed his face thoughtfully. Mr Bucket? Yes, Walter? I think you paid Mr Salzella... Forty shiny dollars. Bucket turned to Granny. Eh, is he some kind of monster? You just listen to the stuff he's been writing, said Nanny. Amazing songs, not even in foreign. Will you just look at his stuff? Excuse me. She turned her back on the audience. Twing, twang, twong. 
and twirled around again with a wad of music paper in her hands. "'I know good music when I sees it,' she said, handing it to Bucket and pointing excitedly at extracts. "'It's got blobs and curly bits all over it, see?' "'You have been writing this music,' said Bucket to Walter, "'which is, hmm, unaccountably warm.' "'Indeed, Mr. Bucket. In, in my time?' "'There's a lovely song here,' said Nanny. "'Don't cry for me, Genua. It's very sad.' "'That reminds me, I'd better go and see if Mrs. Plinger's come round as a, as a, <clears throat> woken up. "'I may have overdone it a bit on the scumble.' "'She ambled off, twitching at bits of her costume, and nudged a fascinated ballerina. "'This balletting doesn't half make you sweat, don't you find?' "'Excuse me, there's something I didn't quite believe,' said Andre. "'He took Salzella's sword and tested the blade carefully. "'Ow!' he shouted. "'Sharp, is it?' said Agnes. "'Yes!' Andre sucked his thumb. She caught it in her hand. She's a witch, said Agnes, but it was steel. I thought no one could magic steel. Everyone knows that. I wouldn't be too impressed if I was you, said Agnes sourly. It was probably just some kind of trick. Andre turned to Granny. Your hand isn't even scratched. How did you... Her stare held him in its sapphire vice for a moment. When he turned away, he looked vaguely puzzled, like a man who can't remember where he's just put something down. "'I hope it didn't hurt Christine,' he mumbled. "'Why isn't anyone seeing to her?' "'Probably because she makes sure she screams and faints before anything happens,' said Perdita, through Agnes. Andre set off across the stage. Agnes trailed after him. A couple of dancers were kneeling down next to Christine. "'It'd be terrible if anything happened to her,' said Andre. "'Oh, yes. Everyone says she's showing such promise.' Walter stepped up beside him. "'Yes,' We should get her somewhere, he said. His voice was clipped and precise. Agnes felt the bottom start to drop out of her world. Yes, but you know it was me doing the singing. Oh, yes, uh, yes, of course, said Andre, awkwardly. But, well, this is opera, you know. Walter took her hand. But it was me you taught, she said desperately. Then you were very good, said Walter. "'I suspect she will never be quite that good, even with many months of my tuition. "'But, Perdita, have you ever heard of the words star quality?' "'Is it the same as talent?' snapped Agnes. "'It is rarer.' "'She stared at him. "'His face, however it was controlled now, was quite handsome in the glare of the footlights. "'She pulled her hand free. "'I liked you better when you were Walter Plinge,' she said. Agnes turned away and felt Granny Weatherwax's gaze on her. She was sure it was a mocking gaze. Uh, we ought to get Christine into Mr. Bucket's office, Andre said. This seemed to break some sort of spell. Uh, yes, indeed, said Bucket, and we can't leave Mr. Salzella corpsing on the stage either. Uh, uh, you two, you'd better take him backstage. Uh, the rest of you, well, it was nearly over anyway. Uh, um, that's it. The uh, opera is over. Walter Plinge? Nanny Og entered, supporting Mrs. Plinge. Walter's mother fixed him with a beady gaze. Have you been a bad boy? Mr. Bucket walked over to her and patted her hand. I think you'd better come along to my office too, he said. He handed the sheaf of music to Andre, who opened it at random. Andre gave it a glance and then stared. Hey, this is good, he said. Is it? Andre looked at another page. Good heavens! What? What? said Bucket. I've just never, I mean, I mean, even I can see. Tum -tum -tum -tum. Yes, Mr. Bucket, do you know this isn't opera? There's music and, 
And yes, dancing and singing all right, but it's not opera. Not opera at all. A long way from opera. Uh, how far? You don't mean, Bucket hesitated, savouring the idea, you don't mean that it's just possible that you put music in and, 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 and you get money out? Andre hummed a few bars. This could very well be the case, Mr Bucket. Bucket beamed. He put one arm around Andre and the other around Walter. Good, he said. This calls for a very large, um, <clears throat> for a medium-sized drink. One by one, or in groups, the singers and dancers left the stage, and the witches and Agnes were left alone. Is that it? said Agnes. Not quite yet, said Granny. Someone staggered onto the stage. A kindly hand had bandaged Enrico Basilica's head, and presumably another kindly hand had given him the plate of spaghetti he was holding. Mild concussions still seemed to have him in its grip. He blinked at the witches, and then spoke like a man who'd lost his hold on immediate events, and so was clinging hard to more ancient considerations. "'Someone give me some spaghetti,' he said. "'That's nice,' said Nanny. "'Getty is fine for him likes it, but not me. <laughs> "'Yes,' he turned and peered muzzily at the darkness of the audience. "'You know what I'm going to do? "'You know what I'm going to do now? "'I'm saying goodbye to Enrico Basilica. "'Oh, yes, he's chewed his last tentacle. "'I'm going to go right out now and have eight pints of turbots really odd. "'Yes.' "'and probably a sausage in a bun. "'And then I'm going to go down to the music hall "'to hear Nellie Stamp sing "'A Winkle's No Use If You Don't Have a Pin. "'And if I sing again here, "'it's going to be under the proud old name "'of Henry Slug. "'Do you hear?' "'There was a shriek from somewhere in the audience. "'Henry Slug? "'Er, uh, yes?' I thought it was you. You've grown a beard and stuffed a haystack down your trousers, but I thought under that little mask, that's my Henry, that was. Henry Slug shaded his eyes from the footlight's glare. Angeline? Oh, no, said Agnes wearily. This sort of thing does not happen. Happens in the theatre all the time, said Nanny Og. It certainly does, said Granny. It's only a mercy he doesn't have a long-lost twin brother. There was the sound of much scuffling in the audience. Someone was climbing along a row, dragging someone else. "'Mother,' came a voice from the gloom, "'what do you think you are doing?' "'You just come with me, young Henry. "'Mother, we can't go up on the stage.' Henry Slug frisbied the plate into the wings, clambered down from the stage and heaved himself over the edge of the orchestra pit, assisted by a couple of violinists. They met at the first row of seats. Agnes could just hear their voices. Oh, I, I meant to come back. You know that. I, I wanted to wait. Ah, what with one thing and another, especially one thing. Come here, young Henry. Mother, what is happening? Son, you know I always said your father was Mr Lawsey the eel juggler? Yes, of course. Please, uh, both of you, come back to my dressing room. I can see we've got such a lot to talk about. Oh, yes, a lot. Agnes watched them go. The audience, who could spot opera even if it wasn't being sung, applauded. All right, she said, and now is it the end? Nearly, said Granny. 
Did you do something to everyone's heads? No, but I felt like smacking a few, said Nanny. But no one said thank you or anything. Often the case, said Granny. Too busy thinking about the next performance, said Nanny. The show must go on, she added. That's, that's madness. It's opera. I noticed that even Mr Bucket's caught it too, said Nanny. And that young Andre has been rescued from being a policeman, if I'm any judge. But what about me? Oh, them as makes the endings don't get them, said Granny. She brushed an invisible speck of dust off her shoulder. I expect we'd better be getting along, Gither, she said, turning her back on Agnes. Early start tomorrow. Nanny walked forward, shading her eyes as she stared out into the dark moor of the auditorium. The audience haven't gone, you know, she said. They're still sitting out there. Granny joined her and peered into the gloom. I can't imagine why, she said. He did say the opera's over. They turned and looked at Agnes, who was standing in the centre of the stage and glowering at nothing. Feeling a bit angry, said Nanny, only to be expected. Yes. Feeling that everything's happened for other people and not you? Yes. But, said Granny Weatherwax, look at it like this. What's Christine got to look forward to? She'll just become a singer. Stuck in a little world. Oh, maybe she'll be good enough to get a little fame, but one day the voice will crack and that's the end of her life. You have got a choice. You can either be on the stage, just a performer, just going through the lines, or you can be outside it and know how the script works, where the scenery hangs and where the trapdoors are. Isn't that better? No. The infuriating thing about Nanny Og and Granny Weatherwax, Agnes thought later, was the way they sometimes acted in tandem, without exchanging a word. Of course, there were plenty of other things. The way they never thought that meddling was meddling if they did it. The way they automatically assumed that everyone else's business was their own. The way they went through life in a straight line. The way, in fact, that they arrived in any situation and immediately started to change it. Compared to that, acting on unspoken agreement was a mere minor annoyance. But it was here and up close. They walked towards her and each laid a hand on her shoulder. Feeling angry, said Granny. Yes. I should let it out then if I was you, said Nanny. Agnes shut her eyes, clenched her fists, opened her mouth and screamed. It started low. Plaster dust drifted down from the ceiling. The prisms on the chandelier chimed gently as they shook. It rose, passing quickly through the mysterious pitch at 14 cycles per second, where the human spirit begins to feel distinctly uncomfortable about the universe and the place in it of the bowels. Small items around the opera house vibrated off shelves and smashed on the floor. The note climbed, rang like a bell, climbed again. In the pit, all the violin strings snapped, one by one. As the tone rose, the crystal prisms shook in the chandelier. In the bar, champagne corks fired a salvo. Ice jingled and shattered in its bucket. A line of wine glasses joined in the chorus, blurred around the rims, and then exploded like hazardous thistledown with attitude. There were harmonics and echoes that caused strange effects. In the dressing rooms, the number three grease paint melted. Mirrors cracked, filling the ballet school with a million fractured images. Dust rose, insects fell. In the stones of the opera house, tiny particles of quartz danced briefly. Then... There was silence, broken by the occasional thud and tinkle. Nanny grinned. Ah, she said, now the opera's over.
Salzella opened his eyes. The stage was empty and dark, and nevertheless brilliantly lit. That is, a huge shadowless light was streaming from some unseen source, and yet apart from Salzella himself, there was nothing for it to illuminate. Footsteps sounded in the distance. Their owner took some time to arrive, but when he stepped into the liquid air around Salzella, he seemed to burst into flame. He wore red, a red suit with red lace, a red cloak, red shoes with ruby buckles, and a broad-rimmed red hat with a huge red feather. He even walked with a long red stick, bedecked with red ribbons. But for someone who had taken such meticulous trouble with his costume, he'd been remiss in the matter of his mask. It was a crude one of a skull, such as might be bought in any theatrical shop. Salzella could even see the string. "'Where did everyone go?' Salzella demanded. Unpleasant recent memories were beginning to bubble up in his mind. He couldn't quite recall them clearly at the moment, but the taste of them was bad. The figure said nothing. "'Where's the orchestra? What happened to the audience?' There was a barely perceptible shrug from the tall red figure. Salzella began to notice other details. What he had thought was the stage seemed slightly gritty underfoot. The ceiling above him was a long way away, perhaps as far away as anything could be, and was filled with cold, hard points of light. I asked you a question. Three questions, in fact. The words turned up on the inside of Salzella's ears with no suggestion that they had had to travel like normal sound. You didn't answer me. Some things you have to work out for yourself. And this is one of them, believe me. Who are you? You're not a member of the cast, I know that. Take off that mask. As you wish. I do like to get into the spirit of the thing. The figure removed its mask. And now take off that other mask, said Salzella, as the frozen fingers of dread rose through him. Death touched a secret spring on the stick. A blade shot out, so thin that it was transparent, its edge glittering blue as air molecules were sliced into their component atoms. Ah, he said, raising the scythe. There I think you have me. It was dark in the cellars, but Nanny Og had walked alone in the strange caverns under Lancre and through the nighttime forests with Granny Weatherwax. Darkness held no fears for an Og. She struck a match. Greeball? People had been tramping to and fro for hours. The darkness wasn't private anymore. It had taken quite a lot of people to carry all the money for a start. Up until the end of the opera, there had been something mysterious about all these cellars. Now they were just, well, damp underground rooms. Something that had lived here and moved on. Her foot rattled a piece of pottery. She grunted as she went down on one knee. Spilt mud and shards of broken pot littered the floor. Here and there, unrooted and snapped, were some unheeded pieces of dead twig. Only some kind of fool would have stuck bits of wood in pots of mud far underground and expected anything to happen. Nanny picked one up and sniffed it tentatively. It smelled of mud and nothing else. She'd have liked to have known how it had been done, just professional interest, of course, and she knew she never would now. Walter was a busy man now, up in the light, and for something to begin, other things had to end. We all wears a musk of one sort or another, she said to the damp air. No sense in upsetting things now, eh?
The coach didn't leave until seven o'clock in the morning. By Lancra standards, that was practically midday. The witches got there early. I was hoping to shop for a few souvenirs, said Nanny, stamping her feet on the cobbles to keep warm. For the kiddies. No time, said Granny Weatherwax. Not that it would have made any difference on account of me not having any money to buy em with, Nanny went on. Not my fault if you fritter your money away, said Granny. I don't recall having a single chance to frit. Money's only useful for the things it can do. Well, yes, I could have done with having some new boots for a start. Nanny jiggled up and down a bit and whistled around her tooth. Nice of Mrs Palm to let us stay there gratis, she said. Yes. Of course, I helped out playing the piano and telling jokes. An added bonus, said Granny, nodding. And, of course, there was all those little nibbles I prepared with the special party dip. Yes, indeed, said Granny, poker-faced. Mrs Palm was saying only this morning that she's thinking of retiring next year. Nanny looked up and down the street again. I expect young Agnes will be turning up any minute now, she said. I really couldn't say, said Granny haughtily. Not as though there's much for her here, after all. Granny sniffed. That's up to her, I'm sure. Everyone was very impressed, I reckoned, when you caught that sword in your hand. Granny sighed. Eh? Yes, I expect they were. They didn't think clearly, did they? People are just lazy. They never think maybe she had something in her hand, a bit of metal or something. They don't think for a minute it was just a trick. They don't think there's always a perfectly good explanation if you look for it. They probably think it was some kind of magic. Yeah, but you didn't have anything in your hand, did you? That's not the point. I might have done. Granny looked up and down the square. Besides, you can't magic iron. That's very true, not iron. Now, someone like old Black Alice, they could make their skin tougher than steel, but that's just an old legend, I expect. She could do it all right, said Granny, but you can't go round messing with cause and effect. That's what sent her mad come the finish. She thought she could put herself outside of things like cause and effect. Well, you can't. You grab a sharp sword by the blade, you get hurt. World would be a terrible place if people forgot that. You weren't hurt. Not my fault. I didn't have time. Nanny blew on her hands. One good thing, though, she said. It's a blessing the chandelier never came down. I was worried about that soon as I saw it. Looks too dramatic for its own good, I thought. First thing I'd smash if I was a loony. Yes. Haven't been able to find Grebo since last night. Good. He always turns up, though. Unfortunately. There was a clatter as the coach swung around the corner. It stopped. Then the coachman tugged on the reins and it did a U-turn and disappeared again. Esme, said Nanny after a while. Yes? There's a man and two horses peering at us around the corner. She raised her voice. Come on, I know you're there. Seven o'clock this coach is supposed to leave. Did you get the ticket, says me? Me? Ah, said Nanny uncertainly. So we haven't got eighty dollars for the tickets then? One of you got stuffed up your elastic, said Granny as the coach advanced cautiously. Nothing that is legal tender for travelling purposes, I fear. Then, no, we can't afford tickets. Nanny sighed. Oh, well, I'll just have to use charm. It's going to be a long walk, said Granny. The coach pulled up. Nanny looked up at the driver and smiled innocently. Good morning, my good sir. He gave her a slightly frightened but mainly suspicious look. Is it? 
We are desirous of travelling to Lancre, but unfortunately we find ourselves a bit embarrassed in the knicker department. You are... "'But we are witches and could probably pay for our travel by, "'e.g. curing any embarrassing little ailments you may have.' "'The coachman frowned. "'I ain't carrying you for nothing, old crone, "'and I haven't got any embarrassing little ailments.' "'Granny stepped forward. "'How many would you like?' she said. "'Rain rolled over the plains.' It wasn't an impressive ram-tops thunderstorm, but a lazy, persistent, low-cloud rain like a fat fog. It had been following them all day. The witches had the coach to themselves. Several people had opened the door while it had been waiting to leave, but for some reason had suddenly decided that today's travel plans didn't include a coach ride. "'Making good time,' said Nanny, opening the curtains and peering out of the window. "'I expect the driver's in a hurry.' "'Yes, I expect he is. "'Shut the window, though. It's getting wet in here.' Right, y'all. Nanny grabbed the strap and then suddenly poked her head out into the rain. Stop, stop, tell the man to stop. The coach slewed to a halt in a sheet of mud. Nanny threw open the door. I don't know, trying to walk home and in this weather too, you'll catch your death. Rain and fog rolled in through the open doorway. Then a bedraggled shape pulled itself over the sill and slunk under the seats, leaving small puddles behind it. Trying to be independent said Nanny. Bless him. The coach got underway again. Granny stared out at the endless darkening fields and the relentless drizzle and saw another figure toiling along in the mud by the road that would eventually reach Lancre. As the coach swept past, it drenched the walker in thin slurry. Yes, indeed. Being independent's a fine ambition, she said, drawing the curtains. The trees were bare when Granny Weatherwax got back to her cottage. Twigs and seeds had blown in under the door. Soot had fallen down the chimney. Her home, always somewhat organic, had grown a little closer to its roots in the clay. There were things to do, so she did them. There were leaves to be swept, and the wood pile to be built up under the eaves. The windsock behind the beehives, tattered by autumn storms, needed to be darned. Hay had to be got in for the goats. Apples had to be stored in the loft. The walls could do with another coat of whitewash. But there was something that had to be done first. It would make the other jobs a bit more difficult, but there was no help for that. You couldn't magic iron, and you couldn't grab a sword without being hurt. If that wasn't true, the world would be all over the place. Granny made herself some tea and then boiled up the kettle again. She took a handful of herbs out of a box on the dresser and dropped them in a bowl with the steaming water. She took a length of clean bandage out of a drawer and set it carefully on the table beside the bowl. She threaded an extremely sharp needle and laid needle and thread beside the bandage. She scooped a fingerful of greenish ointment out of a small tin and smeared it on a square of lint. That seemed to be it. She sat down and rested her arm on the table, palm up. Well, she said to no one in particular, I reckon I've got time now. The privy had to be moved. It was a job Granny preferred to do for herself. There was something incredibly satisfying in digging a very deep hole. It was uncomplicated. You knew where you were with a hole in the ground. Dirt didn't get strange ideas or believe that people were honest because they had a steady gaze and a firm handshake. It just lay there waiting for you to move it. And after you'd done it, you could sit there in the lovely warm knowledge that it would be months before you had to do it again. It was while she was at the bottom of the hole that a shadow fell across it. 
Afternoon, Perdita, she said without looking up. She lifted another shovelful to head height and flung it over the edge. Come home for a visit, have you? she said. She rammed the shovel into the clay at the bottom of the hole again, winced and forced it down with her foot. Thought you were doing very well in the opera, she went on. Cause I'm not an expert in these things. Good to see young people seeking their fortune in the big city, though. She looked up with a bright, friendly smile. I see you've lost a bit of weight, too. Innocence hung from her words like loops of toffee. I've been taking exercise, said Agnes. Exercise is a fine thing, certainly, said Granny, getting back to her digging. Though they do say you can have too much of it. When are you going back? I haven't decided. Well, it doesn't pay to be always planning. Don't tie yourself down the whole time. I've always said that. Staying with your ma, are you? Yes, said Agnes. Ah, only Magrat's old cottage is still empty. You'd be doing everyone a favour if you aired it out a bit, you know, huh? as long as you're here. Agnes said nothing. She couldn't think of anything to say. Funny old thing, said Granny, hacking around a particularly troublesome tree root. I wouldn't tell everyone, but I was only thinking the other day about when I was younger and called myself Endomonedia. You did? When? Granny rubbed her forehead with her bandaged hand, leaving a clay-red smudge. Oh, for about three or four hours, she said. Some names don't have the staying power. Never pick yourself a name you can't scrub the floor in. She threw her shovel out of the hole. Give me a hand up, will you? Agnes did so. Granny brushed the dirt and leaf mould off her apron and tried to stamp the clay off her boots. Time for a cup of tea, eh? she said. My, you are looking well. It's the fresh air. Too much stuffy air in that opera house, I thought. Agnes tried in vain to detect anything in Granny Weatherwax's eyes other than transparent honesty and goodwill. Yes, I thought so too, she said. Er, uh, you hurt your hand? It'll heal. A lot of things do. She shouldered her shovel and headed towards the cottage, and then halfway up the path turned and looked back. This is just me asking, you understand, in a kind of neighbourly way, taking an interest sort of thing. Wouldn't be human if I didn't. Agnes sighed. Yes. You got much to do with your evenings these days? There was just enough rebellion left in Agnes to put a sarcastic edge on her voice. Oh, are you offering to teach me something? Teach? No, said Granny. I ain't got the patience for teaching. But I might let you learn. When shall we three meet again? We haven't met once yet. Of course we have. I've personally known you for at least... I mean, we three haven't met. You know, officially. All right. When shall we three meet? We're already here. All right. When shall? Just shut up and get out the marshmallows. Agnes, give Nanny the marshmallows. Yes, Granny. And mind you don't burn mine. Granny sat back. It was a clear night, although clouds mounting towards the hub promised snow soon. A few sparks flew up towards the stars. She looked around proudly. Isn't this nice, she said.
is The End of Masquerade. It was written by Terry Pratchett and read by Nigel Planer. <laughs>